know that you're a mess. We're all a mess, and I'll explain what I mean in a minute. Don't get all theological on me for a second. We're all a mess, and nobody is exempt from being a mess. When I was a little boy in grade school, this would have been the late 60s, wow. And um, the cool thing to do was to bring, to have these really cool, awesome lunch boxes that are like, there's these tin lunch boxes. That I think they sell them for antiques now for like $15 million a piece or something. I could have been a multimillionaire if I would have just stolen from my friends. Anyway, they had these lunch boxes, and these were the coolest things in the world. And, and I can remember going home and saying to my mom and dad, hey, I need a lunchbox. And my dad looked at me, why do you need a lunchbox? And I, I said the thing that all the kids always say. You always say, well, everybody else has a lunchbox. And I just wanted, I just thought the lunchbox was cool. And, well, we didn't have a lot of money. And my dad looked at me, and he says, well, son, we won't be able to get you a lunchbox, but we'll give you the next best thing. Well, you know what the next best thing was. It was a stupid brown paper bag with my name on it. I mean, is that, that's embarrassing. And so, sure enough, I go to the lunch table the next day, and all these guys are pulling out these awesome, hip, cool Batman lunch boxes, you know, superhero lunch boxes. And, and here I'm pulling out my superhero brown bag, you know, with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I couldn't eat. We couldn't have meat either, probably. I mean, we were so poor. <laughs> and uh, you know what I was doing? I was trying to find somebody else that was sitting at that table that had another brown bag lunch like me. Why? Huh? Yeah, I could relate, right? Right? And of course, of course, what happens is at that, that point, of course, what happens is everybody kind of makes fun of me for my, my brown bag, right? And, uh, you know, you, and, and I guess when you think about that, you, I, I think that there's a little bit of that as we grow up in the church. We actually grow up in a culture where we think that there's other people that really have it more together than we do, Okay. And if we go over their house and their house is like super clean and ours is like super messy, then they somehow are better than us. If we go and, and, they, and they put us for a ride in their car and their car is like super awesome clean and ours looks like hurricane tsunami, okay, they're somehow better than us, right? It's, and it carries over into the spiritual life too. That, you know what, if you do certain things, I have my quiet time this week, or whatever the case may be, we think that there's other people that have got this corner on the truth that they're better than us. Isn't it true? And I think that the greatest thing that we need in the church is the ability for us to all come to the table and to be able to say, I'm not okay, I'm a mess, and you're not okay, and you're a mess too, and you know what? That's okay. Paul speaks about that. Paul is declaring his messiness in Romans 7, and I want you to hear it. This is out of the ESV version. It says this. Listen to what he's proclaiming when he says this. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin. You've heard this before. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, 
but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out, carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he says this, listen. So he's talking about it when he's talking about the messiness inside of himself. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, that dwells in my members, wretched man that I am. Then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he gives his answer in the next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what Paul says. And the reason why I wanted to talk with you about this is because I think that sometimes there can sometimes be this real erroneous view that we have of each other that really prevents us, if you will, stop for a minute and think what I'm saying. It prevents us from entering into radical relating with one another. When I feel that you're judging me, or I feel that you're better than me, or I feel you want to communicate that you're better than me, or maybe you're not trying at all, I just feel like there are scales here. And the point that Paul's trying to make is that we're all wretched. Even in this house of sin, even though we've been redeemed, we still have in our flesh this absolute and terrible messiness and wretchedness that really inhibits us and hurts us. We're messy, and it's okay. All of us are terrified. We're competitive. We're angry. We're mean. We're massively self-centered. We hate. We have destroyed ourselves. We have destroyed others. The list goes on and on. But here's my ultimate point in this is that I want you to hear. Until we realize how not okay we are, we'll never see Jesus as absolutely essential to our ever being okay. Do you hear what I just said? When we realize how not okay we are, we'll never see Jesus as absolutely essential to our ever becoming okay. Jesus and the cross and the gospel is what's essential for now be me being okay. I can be delivered, the scripture says, from my wretchedness, brothers and sisters. Hear it, pilgrims, because it's a good message for us. Some of us don't know how to relate to other people's messes. It's easy. Just look inside yourself and see how messed up you are. How would you want somebody to relate to you? Do you want somebody to look at you as a friend and say, what a jerkhead, what a screwball, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Do you want somebody to, after you share your mess with them, do you want them to just kind of stick the finger up at you and walk down the road and leave you? Do you want that, do you want your husband to do that to you, young lady, or do you want your wife to do that to you, young man? Absolutely not. But we have a Lord that we serve that is the God of a mess. And he's the God of your life. And he's your only hope in the mess. 
Paul says it right when he says, he's my deliverer from the mess. Thanks be to God. Why go to church? I desperately need a gathering of humble and broken and alive and hopeful people who greet me at the door of their home or the door of our church and know that I'm a mess. And they want, and they want me to know that they are too. And I want to know deep in my heart that they aren't going anywhere when they find out about me. And I want to know that I can drop my masks and my pretense, and most of all, I want desperately to hear the gospel speak into the heart of our mess together. Some of you are in conflict with each other. You're in conflict, and I'm going to speak about that in a minute, but one of the reasons why we get into conflict is because we think that our stuff is like more important or greater problems than your stuff. We're all, and it's not that at all. It's like we're all in the mess. We're all messy. So how do we minister to each other in the mess? But I need this kind of community that understands this. Think about what this could do to revolutionize your relationships together in your marriage. If you can approach this as both as a, as a humble and contrite way to say, we're, bo- we're both a mess. This law of sin that works in us has made us wretched people, like Paul says. That, that statement that Paul makes, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it sounds so hopeless, but you know what? We all feel that, don't we? What a wretched man I am. Men, you, you, you felt that this last week? I think that a lot about my thought life. Do you? What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the first reason. I need a community of people that know that I'm not okay and neither are they. The second reason is this. I need a community of people and it kind of fits with the first one. Randy and Jenny gave me this book called The Church. It's called Real Church, written by Larry Crabb and I've done some reading in it this week. And uh, there's something I want to read you out of there but there's a couple quotes that he quotes here when he talks about this concept and this, this second concept that I wanted to share, which I thought was so important because it's taken place in my life in the last couple of weeks, and it really blew me away. But the second point is this. I need a community of people who I can be radically authentic with. And I know that that word, that word of radical and authentic is like more my generation word, so just give me grace, okay? But what I, what I want, I, I guess I'll give you the, a story, and, here, and, and it's, it was... It kind of blew me away. Last week, I'm waiting on Monday, my day off on the golf course, waiting for Randy Drawn to come up and show, show up, and we're going to play golf together. I'm chipping, and um, he's walking towards me, and as he's walking towards me, I'm tr- I just look up at his face, and, and his, his face is really serious. And I went, hmm, you know, and he walks up to me, and he walks like really close into my space, you know what I'm saying? It's not like when we're, you know, fellas, you know, just hanging. You know, he just gets really up, up close to my face, and he says, he said, uh, the first thing he says, his face is, I mean, like super serious. He looks at me, he says, do you trust me? And I thought, 
What an unbelievable thing to say to somebody the first thing in the morning. And they said, you know I do. And he began to cry. And he said, I, 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 it would be hard for me to tell you how, how much I love you. And he said some other things. It, it didn't leave me. It like haunted me. I was talking with Rainy and Jenny. We were out to dinner a couple weeks ago. And I told them, I said, how come the only time that we, well, I didn't say it like this, but it was this question. How come the only time we really find out what people think about us is when we're dead in the casket? You ever thought of that? Somebody's laid out in the casket and everybody, all their friends stand up and they tell about how much they love this person. And I said, how come we can't live our lives like that? Like we're, we're that authentic, we're that radical about our love for each other. Like how come I just can't decide to say to everybody, hey everybody, I, I want to tell you what I, what I think about my daughter, Kelsey, who's getting married in a week. I want to tell you about her, just like I would say it if she had died. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting if I could communicate that kind of level of love, that kind of radical authenticity? Do you do that? Would you love to do that? Is there anybody in your life that needs to hear those kind of words? Is there anybody in your life that needs to hear the deep things that you're struggling with, that maybe are sinful way down deep inside and that you need to be radically authentic with? Why am I speaking about this? Why do I need this kind of church? Because I, I can have a tendency, I don't know if you're like me, I can have a tendency to live my life on the surface of the water. Are you like me? The surface of the water, and I'll sometimes go, I'll sometimes put the mask right below the water, that's called church, look around a little bit, come back up, and kind of swim around the rest of the week. Could we actually live lives for 70-some years and actually just be surface swimmers in our relationships or in our community as a church? Is all that church is just to come here and sit your fanny down on a seat and listen to some loud guy talk on Sunday morning and sing a few worship songs and go back home? Usually the stuff we don't like singing anyway. If, if statistics hold true, 80% of you really don't like going to church anyway. Hmm. But I need a community of people. I want to talk to you a little bit about this concept of being radically authentic. And Brother Lawrence, Crab quotes Brother Lawrence. And here's, here's Brother Lawrence's quote. He says this. He says, I consider myself as the most miserable of all human beings, covered with sores, foul, and guilty of all sorts of crimes committed against my king. Moved by sincere remorse, I confess all my sins to him, and I ask him pardon and abandon myself into his hands so he can do with me as he pleases. And far from chastising me, this king, full of goodness and mercy, lovingly embraces me and seats me at his table and waits, waits on me himself. He gives me the keys to his treasure and treats me in all things as his favorite. He converses with me and takes delight in my countless ways. Although I beg him to, to fashion me according to his heart, I see myself still weaker and miserable, yet even more caressed by God. Isn't it true? What keeps us 
from sharing those kinds of words with each other in community, maybe even with our husbands and our wives or with our brothers and sisters in a community of pilgrims like we have. What keeps us from this kind of authentic sharing, I think Crabb hits it well when he says this, shame. Shame is powerful. It can be life-controlling. At all costs, I feel compelled to protect myself from ridicule and rejection or revulsion. The devil's lie seems so true that facing the worst about me in the presence of someone who matters to me is unbearably painful. It's personal suicide. The end of self-respect, of any confidence that I could be loved, that I have what it takes to make a good difference in another's life. It's so hard. What's that, Chad? Follow with me. We'll, te- we'll keep trying. There we go. Thank you, Chad. Listen to this. It's so cool. It's, it's, it's so hard to believe the truth that facing the worst about me in the presence of a grace-filled friend could release me from the power of shame to really live. It's so hard to believe partly because I have so few friends whom I would trust to show grace if they could see me as I am. And I'm afraid that friend too. And I'm that friend too as well. And I I think that's that's a, a real indictment on us. I really do. And, I, and one of the challenges that I, I, that I have for you uh, in this new year is, as you think about your life, where, do you, where are you going to be content to swim in 2010? Why would we even think about radical authenticity with, with each other? the kind that comes that's so well within context with good friends who can listen to us in grace. Because I've got to tell you something, and I'll go to my third point after this, and it's this. Please hear me when I say this to you. Because it's been 110% true in my life. Brokenness releases power. The power of the gospel works in the fertile ground of brokenness. The deeper the brokenness, the greater the power. It's true. Are you broken? Does anyone know you, young man? Does anyone know you, young lady? Have the things that you've done has, in sin or whatever the case may be so shamed you that there's no one that could possibly, you could never let anyone know? It's not true. Because we need to have a community of people that brings the gospel into even that kind of hiddenness and darkness. Lastly, why do, I, why do I go to church? The last one would be this. And this is really true about me. And it's a deep conviction that I have. And I'm sure that it won't come out that way. It'll probably come out more like I'm preaching at you about it. But I think probably you're going to find it to be very appropriate for you as well. I need a community of people who will speak into who will speak truth into my addiction. I've got to confess my addiction to you today. My addiction 
is myself. I'm addicted to me. It's terrible to say, but I am. Everything in my life that I think about, much of it, is about the pleasure that I'll receive from whatever it is. We were at the REI scratch and dent sale this last weekend. If you wanted to see consumerism at its finest, all you had to do is go. People were lined up outside the door probably for, I don't know, blocks. By the time we got in there, I saw people that had gone into the store, and they were so worried about what they were going to get that they literally went into the bon- the, these bins of clothes and just swooped up anything that was there. Walked around the store with stacks of clothing and went to a corner and got all their buddies around and decided if all those things that they just swooped up and grabbed fit anybody. Think about that. People doing this, people doing that. I almost got one in the nose. I ducked behind the socks. Women in strollers, dangerous proposition. Just, just motoring, flying. And I thought, I, I, I literally did at that point, I thought, is this, is this what my life looks like? Is this seriously a metaphor and a picture for my life? Is this what I'm all about? Am I, just gonna, am I just worried about getting mine all the time? Am I gonna push and shove all kinds of people out of my way? <laughs> I told Shelly last week, Kelsey and Nick will find this funny. I, I teased Shelly last week. I said, when I walk Kelsey down the aisle, I, want, I'm not, I don't want to wear a suit. I didn't do that, but I felt that on the inside. If I did that, that would have been a worse fight. I said, I don't want to do that. I want to, and she, she says, what? She says, you what? I said, well, so I'm, I just don't wear suits. It's not what I do. Exactly. Hear, my, hear me talking right now. It's not what I do. Well, honey, this isn't about you. She says, <coughs> <laughs> just take the knife out and stop telling the truth. How could you feel like you could tell the truth into my selfishness? But I found it so funny because I went back and I had all this out, you know, and I, I got to the point where I thought, this is the way that this is going to happen. I realized suddenly that there's other people around me in my life that see this completely differently than I do. Do you see? Do you know? that there's other people around you? Are we so consumed with ourselves that all we're worried about is our agenda, our pushing and shoving? Is our lives exactly like what I experienced at REI? If it is, my friends, what a sham. The truth, I am and maybe you are addicted to our own self-sufficiency and our own plans and our own future. The truth, I and you are massively critical and judgmental people. 
You know why we're critical and judgmental? Because it's connected to our addiction. See, when you look at an addict, there's a sure sign that when you see the addict, like a drug user, there's sure signs in them that you see that they're an addict. Their skin is usually pale or they have hollowed out eyes. If it's a person who's addicted to cigarettes, they have yellow fingers and yellow nails. You know these people? You've seen them before? The surest sign of our addiction to ourselves is the yellow words of criticism and judgment that we have for the church, for others, for our husbands, for our wives, and for everybody in our lives. It's the surest sign that of our addiction to ourselves. And James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And I wondered, could I stop complaining? Could I stop criticizing? Could I stop judging maybe just for one day about what I find missing and wrong in everyone and everything else and start celebrating what God is doing in everyone else and in everything else? Or am I so addicted to myself and my own perceptions of life and the people around me that those perceptions have actually become my reality and my gospel. Is that what it is for me? We must come to this. This is something that I really want us to face this year as a body and as a congregation. And it's this concept of the addiction we have to ourselves. Because this is where the root of many of our problems are. (laughs) James says it. Well, and I'll end on this verse. James 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And the passions that he's talking about is the passion for mine, the passion for my own, the passion for my own self-sufficiency, the passion to do what I'm going to do, the passion for me to be the Savior of my life, the passion for me to be the King of my life, the passion for me to be the Lord of my life, the passion for me to worry about everything that could possibly take place in the future, present, and the past. It's an addiction I have to me. And it needs to be confessed. And I really need the Lord's power to really, really speak into this. Do you? Are you with me? We need to help each other with this, and I need your help on it. I need my wife to look at me. I need you to look at me. I need my brothers and sisters to look at me and say, hey, bro, take the mirror away. It's good. It's a good message for us to hear. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for for your word, and thank you for the convicting nature of it in my life. I know that I desperately need it, and uh, yet I know that many times I want to come uh, here to church and, and really kind of avoid what you have to say, especially in my study this week. There is so much that just really hit at the center of my heart, and I pray, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would just loose 
that conviction in us. We pray this morning that there would be nobody that would walk out of here and feel hopeless because we want to claim and say, Lord Jesus, that you are our hope. In the midst of the struggle of life, in the midst of the mess that we are, in the midst of our addiction, in the midst of all of the things that we need to talk about with each other, and we just want to say, Lord, that um, we need you so badly to do a work in our lives. And I pray that we would come together as a community who would be very authentic with each other, as a community who would uh, really speak the truth into our selfishness and our issues, our sin. I pray, Lord, that you'd just be free amongst us to work and to move. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.